Well, if you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We've been away from the book of Hebrews for a couple of weeks now with the Palm Sunday and, and Easter Sunday, and now we're, we're returning and we're in chapter 10. This morning we are going to be reading uh, from chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Let me remind you once again, it's God's Word. If you're able, out of respect for God's Word, I would ask you to stand together with me as we read. God's Word from Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open to us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great uh, priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full, of, uh, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Back in the mid-1970s, the late Francis Schaeffer uh, wrote a, a very important book for Christianity. It was uh, entitled, How Shall We Then Live? Uh, this book was written after a book in which he, he wrote, which was entitled, The God Who Is There. Uh, the God Who Is There talks about the fact that God is truly there. He truly exists. And because he exists, there are certain truths about him, certain truths that he has, he has revealed to us uh, in his word. And so how shall we then live in response to the fact that God truly is and that he is true and that he has revealed certain truths to us that are true? These truths should affect the way that we live and everything that we do. And so the author of Hebrews, in a sense, is doing that with us this morning. He's saying, told you all this stuff for ten chapters. Told you all this stuff about Jesus and how wonderful he is and the fact that he, he is superior. He's a superior revelation. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior high priest. Of a, and he's a superior a mediator to a superior covenant. And as far as the, being a superior high priest, he brings a superior offering. In fact, he is the offering, and that is so superior to the blood of the bulls and goats back then. He, uh, he offers his offering in a superior temple, the, the true temple, the one which is in heaven, not an earthly one made by human hands. And therefore, the work that Christ has done, that superior work, accomplishes for us what is necessary for us, bringing us into the very presence of God, the God who is truly there, into the real tabernacle, into the real holy of holies, we now have the access into that throne room. 
And so Paul, he, or excuse me, the author of Hebrews, whoever it is, they used to think it was Paul. Um, in fact, maybe you have a Bible this morning which would say the, the uh, letter of the Apostle Paul to the Hebrews, but uh, I, I think that that's rather not very likely. It was someone else that we don't know who, who it was, but whoever the author is, uh, he has, he's been talking about all this stuff, the superiority of Jesus for so long, and then in verse 19, he says, Therefore, therefore, because of all of this stuff that's gone before, therefore, now he could have gone from the therefore in, chapter, in verse 19 all the way to verse 22 and began. He could have skipped verse uh, uh, 20 and 21. He could have said, therefore, let us, and start with these imperatives, these things that we need to do. But he doesn't do that just yet. He says, therefore, brothers, since, let me remind you of some of the stuff that's going on. I'm not going to do a, a full review of all this stuff, but I want to remind you of a little bit of it. Therefore, since, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, uh, this is something that no one in the Old Testament had the, had the uh, confidence to do. Uh, only the high priest could go in there and only once a year. But he says, you know what? We have confidence because of the work of Christ. We have confidence to go there right into the presence of God. He says, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, it's accomplished for us by the blood of Christ, by a new and a living way which he opened to us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, all right, he has, he has opened the way for us, and he is even there now interceding for us. Because of these things, he's opened the way. He is there as our great high priest. Since we can do that, he gives us four imperatives. And in this passage, which we read, there are four times, four different places, that he says, let us, let us, these are the things that we're to do. Let us. And so you see in your outline, in your bulletin, the, the four let us uh, that uh, we have before us. So let's look at what these four things are, uh, things that we're to do in this, this uh, imperative, these things that we, uh, he's telling us. These, these, this is what I want you to do as a result of what's gone before. We see the first one in verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What's the first thing? Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. What does it mean to draw near to God? John Owen, great Puritan writer, said, the phrase let us draw near encompasses the whole performance of divine solemn worship. Let us draw near to God. We're coming to worship Him. Both private and public uh, worship. He goes on, John Owen goes on and says, The exhortation given for this duty is the first inference the apostle makes about the benefits we receive from Christ's priesthood and sacrifice. Let me say it another way. The very first and most important thing about all this stuff that he's told us about Christ and His superiority the very first and most important aspect for us to do as a result of all this is to worship God. That's the first thing. We're to come and to worship Him. Now we live in a time when worship seems to be, well, 
we, we, we hear people leaving church to say, I just didn't get anything out of that this morning. Well, we kind of miss the point, don't we? We talk about worship. Who are we worshiping? If we're worshiping us and we didn't get anything out of it, well, then it wasn't a very good worship service. But if we've come to worship God, then it's what we put into it, not what we get out of it, right? If we come to worship God, which is the first thing he says to us, let us draw near to God, the first thing is the result of all of this greatness of Christ to come to worship God. That's the very first thing. Let us draw near to God. Publicly, as we're doing right now, also privately on a daily basis. On a daily basis, we're to, we're to live in, a, in an attitude of prayer all the time. Pray without ceasing, the Apostle Paul would tell us. We're to constantly be thinking with our, with our mind being renewed. Uh, thinking about God and who He is and what He's done for us in Christ Jesus. Rejoicing in that. Praising Him on a daily basis. God created us so that we might have nearness to Him. Remember He created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden. And every day He's coming to fellowship with them until the fall. Right? And then there's this, this separation, this, this split. this Because of our, our sinfulness, there was a separation from God. He, he tossed them out of the garden and then even in the wilderness when he comes to uh, join them in the tabernacle, he still put this veil between them. But his desire is to be with his people and to have us draw near to him, to worship him, to see him as who he is. If we find it difficult to draw near to him after what he has provided for us through Christ, then what can the problem be? We think we're not drawing near to God, and we can't draw near to God. I can't get near to you, God. What's the problem? Well, we can't draw near to God in just any way we please. We must draw near with a sincere heart, a full assurance of, of the work of that Christ has done for us. We must draw near with a, with a heart full of assurance of faith, full of the assurance of what Christ has has done for us. Access to Him is not provided by our works. <laughs> we say, I'm doing my best I can, Lord. Well, we're coming not doing the best we can, but coming with full assurance that Christ has done the best that could ever be done. And that's what we come into the presence of God with. If we're having trouble thinking, uh, we're, we're having trouble drawing near to God, it's I think it has to be because we're trying to draw near in our works. We're not trusting in the work of Christ. Someone has said that God does not accept our approach to Him if we attempt to do so by means of self-received virtues or accomplishments. He does not hear us or accept our worship because of our performance, but because of what His Son has done in our hearts. He's cleansed us from a guilty conscience and He's washed our body to cleanse us with the, with the work of Christ. And so we draw near to God spotless based on the work of Christ. Let us draw near. Just draw near. That's the first thing. Come and worship Him with our lives and uh, both publicly and privately. Second thing 
The second let us, he says in verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Uh, let us hold unswervingly. Um, other translations, if you have a different translation, it may say something about without wavering. Uh, don't waver as we, uh, about the hope that we hold. Uh, we don't have to be fearful about the hope that uh, we have in Christ, that it might not, all of his promises might not be fulfilled to us. We all know what it means to hope in something that we don't get. I wonder, is there anybody in here besides me and Dodd who have ever signed up for the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes? Anyone? Yeah. I mean, what does that take? I mean, it takes getting a whole lot of mail, right? And you, your number is definitely one of these numbers that's going to win, right? We know what it is to hope that, and we plan, I mean, we, we think about it in our mind, what all, all I'm going to do with that money, and I know that, shoot, I'll give half of it to the church, right? We think all the good things I can do with all that money. But that's a hope that uh, I'm not familiar with any of you accomplishing, right? <laughs> but the hope that we have in God is not that type of hope, is it? It's not a hope that we, we, oh, I really hope I get this. But he says, this is, we hold on to this hope without wavering, unswervingly. That, that we're, we're, we're really going to continue to hope in this. Not because we're, it's, it's a kind of a just wishful thinking. But what is the basis of our hope here? He says, let us hold unswervingly to the, unswervingly to the hope that we have for he who promised is faithful. Now it would be a whole different thing if you had a rich uncle and he's telling you, I'm going to give you so much money and here it is, I've got it and I'm going to give it to, your, to you on your birthday, on your, on your 25th birthday, it's all coming to you and your uncle has been real good to you all of your life, he's never told you a lie, you've never known him to tell a lie to anyone and he tells you this, give you all of this money on your 25th birthday. You're looking with hope to your 25th birthday, aren't you? Well, some of us look back there, right? But you would look forward to it and you would say, I can't wait till that day. You're hoping to get it because you haven't received it yet, but you know for certain that it's going to come. Now, God, the one who's made these promises to us, he is faithful. He's never once lied. In fact, he cannot lie. You know, when he gives the, the, uh, the covenant to Abraham, he swears on himself. There's nothing bigger that he can swear on. He swears by himself. God is faithful. He's made all these promises to us. What kinds of, of promises are, are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about something that is still to come. Uh, for the most part, we know that the hope that we have means that we will see him face to face. We'll have by sight what we only have by faith right now. And we know that all of the effects of sin that we have on us today, glasses, hearing aids, walkers, canes, backaches, the, uh, prescription drugs, all of these things, they're all a result of the fall. That's all gone. Because when Christ comes again, all of that work of sin is wiped out. 
And so we look to the benefits of glory. We see that there will be no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears. All the former things will be passed away. Everything's become new. We look for the joy of being in the very physical presence of God once again. Because all, the, all that sin is gone. And we look for this for eternity. Now some might say, well, you're silly to hope on such things. Um, they might say something like, once you're dead, that's it. I'm not sure that anyone really believes that. They may say they believe that. may have somehow talked themselves into believing that, but uh, it's a difficult thing to, to have. But they say our hope is silly, hoping for a better day to come, hoping for an eternity together with God when all of the effects of sin are gone on us. They say it's like hoping to win the publisher's clearinghouse, only a little, little worse. No. Our hope is certain because our hope is founded on the promise of one who is faithful and always faithful and will always bring it to pass. And therefore, the author of Hebrews says, let's hold on to that hope. In the midst of the trials and the struggles and difficulties of this life, they've gone through trials. In, in, uh, the, the Hebrew children here have gone through trials. Some of them had lost property. Others had been persecuted. It was going to get worse. He tells them that. In the midst of all that, do not lose your hope. Because God has made promises to you and he is faithful. He will keep those promises. Okay, so the first thing, let us draw near to God. Let us be faithful in worship. Second, let us hold on to the hope that we profess. Unswervingly, God is faithful. He will bring it to pass. Thirdly, verse 24, he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You know, most Christians today, I think we might think about our Christian life, and even as we were talking about the last point there, the hope that we have, we consider it uh, so much an individual thing. And there is certainly an individual aspect of it, but we need to understand that as Christians, we're not, we're not long rangers. That we're... Together in the body of Christ. We're united with the body of Christ. And uh, we're not to seek to achieve our personal goals in life without regard to the body of Christ. This way of thinking fails to fit into the biblical pattern of the church. We are to consider, as a result of all that Christ has done, how we are to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It's not just an individual thing. We're to consider how we might help one another. John F. Kennedy said about our country, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. <laughs> That's a different thought in this day and age, isn't it? As far as our country, but how much more in the church? And I think that this is what... Uh, what the author of Hebrews is telling us here. It's not just for me, but for all of us. And let us take the benefits that he's given us in Christ Jesus and use those to see how I might spur one another on towards love and good deeds. 
do you ever consider how you might uh, motivate others in this congregation to do good things? You ever consider that? You ever think about what you could do to help others do better love and, and good deeds? Apostle here tells us something we're supposed to do. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Something for us to each one think about, to spur one, other, one another on to love and good deeds. We're to help others do love and good deeds. Well, that's the third thing. Fourthly, we see in verse 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, all over the United States today, there are church members who are miss missing worship on the Lord's day. <laughs> some excuses may be legitimate, but I doubt that most are. My uh, pastor growing up, Sam Jefferson, used to tell a story about uh, these two men who went out fishing on a Sunday, and they're sitting in the boat out uh, in the middle of the lake fishing, and, and one of the gentlemen says, you know, I feel a little guilty this morning about missing church. We probably should be in church instead of out here fishing. The second man said, well, I couldn't go to church today anyway. Why not? He says, well, my wife is homesick and someone would have had to stay with her. I heard it uh, said that uh, Kyle Thurman, a pastor uh, before me, used to tell people on special Sundays like uh, Easter or Christmas, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, sanctuary would be crowded and he would say at the end of the service something along the lines, well, I'll see the rest of you next Easter. I'm not sure what the statistics are for the Presbyterian Church in America, but I've read that only 35% of Southern Baptists attend churches on a regular basis. Sadly, I doubt that the statistics are any better for the PCA or for any other evangelical denomination. One of my professors in seminary, Dr. Simon Kistemaker, wrote about this. He said, one of the first indications of a lack of love towards God and neighbor is for a Christian to stay away from worship services. I'll read it again just in case you didn't get it from my reading first time. One of the first indications of a lack of love towards God and neighbor is for a Christian to stay away from worship services. He forsakes the communal obligations of attending these meetings and displays the symptoms of selfishness and self-centeredness. I want you to consider the, the circumstances of the first century Christians that the author of Hebrews is writing to here. Again, I'm quoting from Dr. Kistemaker. He's talking about their circumstances. When the author of Hebrews writes this to them, think about it. The early uh, Jerusalem church met from house to house on a daily basis as well as assembling on occasion in more public settings. This church in the environs of Rome might have assembled numerous times throughout the week, perhaps even having to meet clandestinely due to persecution. They even, uh, but even with this very likely scenario, our writer rebukes them for neglecting to assemble whenever the body gathered together. There were no labor unions 
in Rome or in the Roman world in those days. <clears throat> no labor unions to say you get two days a week off. You've got to have all your works 40 hours a week. Most of the people had to work whenever their owners told them to. When would they meet together for worship? We have records of the early church meeting, many of them gathering together before daylight. Uh, maybe, at, like, like uh, just read to you, uh, many of them clandestinely meeting before daylight, sometimes in the catacombs, to worship God. Before they would have to go then to their day of work. Others would meet in homes after their day of work. They would meet together uh, to worship God in the homes. And like we've heard, they would come under risk of persecution. We, we, uh, we thank the Lord that we have the, the right in this nation, the uh, liberty of uh, religion, and that we have the right to come and worship freely here without the uh, fear of the government coming in and interfering with us and uh, uh, taking us away, throwing us in jail, beating us, or even putting us to death, uh, stealing our money, uh, or stealing our house, or losing anything that we have. We don't have to worry about that, but they did in the first century. And even with that, the author of Hebrews says, we're not to give up meeting together. We're supposed to do it. And we're to encourage one another to continue to do it. This is all the more as you see that day approaching. What day is he talking about? The day of Jesus. Uh, he's coming back. He truly is. We've been told that. And we, we've been studying that on Sunday nights over here. He is coming back. He comes back on a Sunday when we should be worshiping. But instead we're out on the lake fishing or in the river fishing. Do, do we want that to happen? <laughs> well, the author of Hebrews says, you know what, as a result of all that Christ has done, of the superiority of Christ, how can we ever neglect giving him uh, this little bit of time when we gather together um, worship. How can we do that? He says we're not to do it. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some of them have to do. Well, the work of Jesus uh, truly is uh, superior as we've seen uh, throughout the, the uh, letter of Hebrews. is superior to anything else that we can find in this world. As we see that our minds ought to be so enamored with Jesus that our passion would be to regularly draw near and that we would always be able to hold firmly to the hope that we have, knowing that he is faithful and he's going to fulfill his promises, that we would continue seeking ways to encourage one another to love and to good deeds, and that we certainly would meet regularly together to worship him and to encourage one another. I don't know if the Lord's coming back today or if he's coming back 
in another thousand or two thousand years? I, I don't know, but as we consider the day of Jesus' return, may we, by the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, incorporate these imperatives, these let us the themes into our daily lives.